I have the bittersweet privilege today of closing out our series in the book of Colossians. It's bittersweet because this series for me personally has been personally profound on so many levels. And so today we're landing the plane in Colossians, Paul's letter of encouragement to the church of Colossae. And I'm so grateful that you guys are here. If you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to be diving deep back into Colossians today. And I can't wait to see what the Lord does as we just plunge into this last chapter of Paul's letter of encouragement today. As we have been going through Colossians as a church for the last couple months, on a personal level, so many verses and passages as we've been studying these words, it's triggered memories and brought me back to my days in Mid-America Christian University in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. The belt buckle of the Bible belt, folks. That's where I met my wife, Julianne Scott, and that's where God in my life confirmed that he was calling me to be a pastor. And one of the men that the Lord used in my life to really just give me clarity about my calling was a man named Cliff Sanders, Dr. Cliff. Dr. Cliff had a southern accent that could have landed him a role on Duck Dynasty. I kid you not. The drawl, the drawl was present with, with Dr. Cliff. But when he opened the word, he was one of the most dynamic, humble, gifted, powerful teachers that I had ever seen. And to be honest with you, when I sat under his teaching. I began to think to myself, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be like this guy. So during my senior year at Mid-America Christian University, I had the privilege of being a teacher's assistant for Dr. Cliff as he taught Paul's letter to the Colossians. He taught Colossians. And what you need to know about Dr. Cliff is he was brilliant. He had the book of Colossians memorized in uh, multiple English translations and in Greek. And in Greek. So an absolutely brilliant, brilliant guy. But as he taught Colossians, and when he opened up this letter, you could tell that he believed deep down that these verses and passages in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, that they were more than just religious principles. They were alive with God's grace and power, that these words literally had power to transport people out of their current situation and to make them new. And he preached and he taught with that power, and it was amazing. And so every single time before class, I had the opportunity to go to Cliff's office right before he would teach class. I'd turn in homework, you know, that I had helped him grade, and um, he would ask me about my life, and we would pray together. We'd pray together. And something incredible happened that I'll never forget. Halfway into that semester, as Dr. Cliff was teaching 
the book of Colossians, his wife Becky was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. And this man that I had so much love and respect for, very few people have made uh, as lasting of an impact, an imprint in my life as Dr. Cliff has. I got to see him actually pray for his wife, Becky. He invited me into his, his pain. And I got to watch him as he prayed so many scriptures that he had memorized back to the Lord and Savior that he trusted. And that forever impacted my life. Cliff was one of the most gifted teachers I, I've ever been around. But what changed my life forever, what rewired me, was actually watching him pray. And it was in those times, in Cliff's office, moments where just, just the brutality of watching the wife that he loved, Becky, go through this and watching his trust just get, get lifted up to the Lord in, in prayer as he prayed scriptures, as he trusted the Lord. It forever impacted my life. And it taught me that the power of, the, of Christ in the Christian life is unleashed into our lives as we pray. That apart from prayer, the reality of Christ in you is simply an abstract religious idea and a concept until we pray. And perhaps that's why Paul both begins and finishes his letter to the church in Colossae with prayers. Have you ever noticed that? It's one of these subtle things, but the structure of Colossians, actually, it's bookended with prayer. In chapter 1, Paul begins his letter by telling his friends in Colossae, whenever we think of you, we always pray for you, that you might be strengthened, that you might grow in wisdom and understanding, being rooted and grounded in this great gospel that in all the world is bearing fruit, and it's bearing fruit among you. And guys, I'm praying for you. Wouldn't it be awesome to have the Apostle Paul praying for you? It must have been so encouraging. But then as Paul wraps up his letter in chapter 4, he kind of uh, turns the tables and he asks the church of Colossae to pray for him. And so Colossians ends actually with this call to prayer. Deep down, the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul must have known that there was no way for the church in Colossae to be the community that Christ was calling them to be apart from prayer. That there was no way for you and I, as, as the readers of this letter, to grow, to see the gospel take root in our relationships, to be filled with love so that we can be people who, as Pastor Guy preached last week, have the humility to step down, to lift others up. There's no chance in the world of becoming these kinds of people apart from prayer. However, to be honest, the vast majority of believers that I run into, when they're honest, they admit that prayer is a struggle in their life. Perhaps you can relate. And in spite of of our best intentions to engage in heartfelt conversation 
with God Almighty. So often the words and requests that we lift up to God, it feels like they hit the ceiling and fall back down flat in our lives. So much like summer dieting or exercise, we pray in fits and starts, in spite of our best intentions, feeling all the time deep down that we long to live a life of prayer, but lack the bearings and the know-how to really step into that. So before we go any further this morning, I want you to know that if prayer is a struggle for you, you're not alone. In fact, anyone who endeavors to live a life of prayer will quickly discover that it is difficult, that it takes discipline and intentionality and effort. But perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul encourages the church in Colossae by telling them that Epaphras, a great man of prayer, also struggled as he prayed for them. It's in chapter 4 of Colossians and verse 12. Apostle, the Apostle Paul encourages, as he calls his friends to pray, he encourages them by telling them, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. All true prayer involves an element of struggle. It did for the Apostle Paul. It did for Epaphras. It will for you and I. However, it's worth struggling for. It's worth working at because in the end, there's truly no way to stand mature and make progress in the Christian life apart from prayer. So with that in mind, as Paul wraps up his letter, he invites us to pray with him. So turn to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to start today by diving right in at verse 2 as we look at Paul's great invitation to step into a life of prayer. This is God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's stop right here and pray together this morning. Father, as your people, what a great privilege we have that no matter where we are in our season of life, that we can come 
to you and know, Lord, that you're present in our need. That your, your power for our lives is, is made perfect in every single situation that we're facing. We pray, Lord, that by your grace, you would build us up into people who are called by your name and who are living a life of prayer, that your power, Lord, in us would be released into our lives as we learn how to pray more faithfully. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Now, a moment ago, when I said, let's pray, probably for most of you, almost instinctively, you went on autopilot and you closed your eyes. You closed your eyes. Have you ever stopped to consider why we close our eyes when we pray? It's an interesting question. You know, as a parent of two boys, I think I understand the logic of actually teaching your kids to close their eyes and fold their hands when they pray. It actually reduces the temptation to poke or cause mischief. Hands folded, eyes closed, the poke factor and the mischief factor when you're praying, it, it's reduced. And, and so it, it makes sense, you know, to, to close your eyes, to fold your hands. And some people believe, you know, this helps me focus on God or it's a sign of reverence. Plus, if you've ever been in a group of people where you're praying and you open your eyes and you realize somebody's praying with their eyes open and you're, they're looking at you, it's actually really awkward and creepy. <laughs> it, it's like the, the creepy factor. It's a little bit off-putting. However, in spite of the fact that most of us have grown accustomed to praying with our eyes closed, did you know that the Bible never explicitly commands us to pray this way? It never, there, there is no verse in the scripture where it explicitly tells us, thou shalt close your eyes and fold your hands when you pray. In fact, most of the examples we have of people praying in the Bible involve them praying with eyes wide open and hands lifted, including the prayers of Jesus. In fact, take this one from John 17, 1, one of the greatest prayers ever lifted up in the history of the world, often called the high priestly prayer of King Jesus. John records and gives us this detail, and he tells us when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he prayed and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And he prayed this with eyes wide open and lifted up to heaven. Now, to be honest, I don't think the Lord cares one way or another whether our eyes are physically open or closed, whether our hands are folded or lifted up. There's many postures of prayer uh, that we see in the Bible, and I don't think the Lord has a preference. But on another level, when we pray, I actually do think that we should be alert and attentive with eyes wide open, always on the lookout for how God will intervene and answer and lead and guide and counsel us and redirect us and blow up our expectations. Always on the lookout. 
for how God is stretching out his hand and working in our lives. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he exhorted the Colossians to continue steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it. Or as one translator put it, stay alert with your eyes wide open. That, that phrase that Paul uses as he instructs people how to pray, be watchful. It's this Greek word, gregoreo, that means to be wide awake, to be alert, to be paying attention, to have your eyes wide open. So what I want to do today with our brief time together is I just want to camp on this invitation to pray that Paul gives us here and explore three things that we should always be on the lookout for as we pray as followers of Christ. How does that sound? That's, Eric Larson is jazz. That's amazing. That's amazing. Three things. Three things. If prayer is a struggle for you, I pray this is helpful because it's going to teach you how to pray with eyes wide open. And I hope that this actually revolutionizes your prayer life because it is for me. The first thing that we should always be on the lookout for as we pray is threats. Threats. Threats that would take us captive and take us out. You see, although Colossians is filled to the brim, as we've seen, with encouraging portraits of who Jesus is, that this is one of the most encouraging letters in the New Testament, it also functions as a wake-up call. In fact, what motivated to, the Apostle Paul to write this letter was his concern for the believers in Colossae that they might not be taken out and taken captive by false teachers that had snuck into the church. So just as a quick recap, go back to chapter 2, and in verse 8... We see Paul's word of warning and his concern for what's happening in Colossae. And he says, see to it, Colossians, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so when calling his friends in Colossae to pray, he tells them, I want you to stay alert. I want you to be watchful, eyes wide open, so that you're not deluded and taken captive by the enemy. This command to pray watchfully, it brings to mind the words of Jesus that he said to Peter, James, and John on the night of his betrayal, in Gethsemane. If you remember that story, on the night that Jesus is betrayed, at, at the climax of his ministry, where the Son of God is going to be handed over to the authorities to be crucified and nailed to the cross, he invited his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, to keep watch with him and pray. And so Jesus invited them to pray, and he used the same word that Paul used right here for be watchful. He says, will you watch with me? Will you sit, sit and actually watch with me and pray? 
Because right now we're, we're surrounded by, by a spiritual battle and unseen forces you don't see. Can you sit watch with me and pray? And for those of you that know the story, Jesus goes away and he prays. And when he comes back, he finds that his friends, in spite of their willing spirits, their heavy eyelids won out and they fell asleep on Jesus. And so Jesus says, could you not keep watch with me for one hour, <laughs> guys? There's actually so much grace in that story because I think the disciples struggled to pray. They failed at prayer. And you and I, we often, we often just get sleepy in our prayers and we're not watchful because we're not fully convinced that we're engaged in a spiritual battle with an enemy who wants to take us captive. If we were convinced of that, I think it would invigorate our prayers with much more watchfulness. That we're actually engaged in a spiritual battle. There is actually a very real enemy that wants to deceive and take us captive. We live in a dangerous world. This truth is driven home for me because me and my family several years ago, as good Portlanders, we decided, without praying about it whatsoever, um, to start raising chickens. And so I don't think that we would actually have a mind to raise chickens in any other place but Portland. Um, but we just decided, you know what, we're, we're all in, and so we have the coop, and we have a family of chickens, Rico, Skipper, Kung Pao, Kowalski, who has gone to heaven, rest in peace, and a chicken named Sonny, who is the world's stupidest chicken. <laughs> I have a picture of Sonny for you. That is Sonny, right there, complete with a Don King hairdo. Chickens are stupid biologically, they're not smart creatures, but then Sunny is completely blind. She has no faculties of survival whatsoever. And so we'll regularly, regularly find her disoriented, confused, just staring at a wall and clucking. She doesn't know where she's going most of the time, which is a problem because where we live, there's a hawk. There's a hawk who's taken out one of our chickens before. And this hawk is constantly, constantly, constantly looking for chickens because chickens are deli delicious, aren't they? They're, they're delicious. Everything in creation is constantly trying to kill chickens. They're at the bottom of the food chain, folks. And so, and Sonny has no idea what's going on. And so when I was over in Myanmar, my son, these chickens are his, his egg-laying pets. He is the caretaker of our, our chickens. He loves and protects these chickens like they're his children. Um, it's a strange thing. It's a beautiful thing. And when I was over in Myanmar, I got a text from my wife, and she told me, the hawk has got Sonny. Pray for us. Because we're preparing a memorial service for Sonny. So my wife was trying to comfort our son Hayden 
who, who was just absolutely destroyed by the loss of his chicken, Sonny. They were planning out this memorial service, which was brutal. And I was praying and talking over the phone with Hayden. Three days later, I get a text, a text from my wife, and she says, false alarm, Sonny's alive. She just got lost in our garage. <laughs> this is a true story. <laughs> This is a true story. She was laying eggs in there. She was laying eggs in there. She was so disoriented and confused because she doesn't know where she's going. She just went into our garage. We thought the hawk got her. Nope, she just was hanging out in our garage for three days. Why tell this silly chicken story? You know what? So often in our Christian life, I think we're blind. We're blind. We're walking around blind to things that would take us out. And so, so many times when I've prayed, the Lord has used times of prayer to really just bump me and say, hey, watch out for that. Watch out for that. That, that, that arrogant word that you spoke, that harsh word that you spoke right there, that was sin. You need to ask for forgiveness. You, the, the, this ingratitude, this bad attitude that, that you have, don't let that grow. Put that off. So many times the Lord will use times of prayer to show us, to warn us out of love things he's trying to protect us from. And so when you pray, have your eyes wide open. Ask God to open your eyes to things that would take you captive if you didn't cut them off. Secondly, as we pray, we should not only be watchful in prayer, but thankful but thankful. So we should have our our eyes wide open when we pray not only to threats, but for God's provision, how God's intervening in our lives constantly and providing for us. I think this is why Paul tacks on to his his exhortation to prayer when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, not only being watchful in it, but with thanksgiving. So we should be watchful in prayer because God is constantly protecting us, but we should be thankful in prayer because we have a God that is constantly, providentially caring for us, providing for our needs, answering our prayers. Time and time again in the scriptures, we're reminded that we serve a God who loves hearing and providing for his children's needs when we come to him in prayer. One of the most beautiful, intimate portraits of prayer in all of scripture comes from the words of Jesus to his disciples when he was teaching them about prayer in Matthew chapter 7. As I read this passage, look at this intimate portrait of what prayer is meant to look like in our lives. In Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7, Peter tells his disciples, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Now, if you have ever been around kids, you know that kids have no filter whatsoever when they come to their parents to ask for things. They just, they just come before the parents and they just let it, they let it roll. They let it roll. My kids have been asking for go-karts forever. Requests for go-karts. Dad, can we build a, a, a go-kart together? Of course we can. Of course we can. We can build a go-kart, just not out of the stuff I'm trying to haul to the dump. But how weird it would be if my kids came to me wanting to ask, you know, to build a go-kart, but before they did, they ran around our kitchen island like three times, and then they came to me in like Shakespearean language, and they said, Art Father, who art in Lake Oswego, <laughs> hallowed be thy name. You know, and, and they, they just acted weird instead of just coming to me and naturally saying, hey, Dad, like, here's something we want. Here's something we, we need when my kids are hungry, which is constantly, uh, they, they tell me. They just come and they, they just ask, like Jesus says. Like, kids just ask. And this is what God wants us to do. It's just, just come before him to ask and then have our eyes wide open to ways where God is saying, maybe no, not right now, uh, but also ways where God just answers our prayers and our requests. God loves hearing his children pray, and he often answers in ways that we're just blinded to until we pray. Until we pray. The prayer opens our eyes to God's provisions of grace in disguise in our life. This truth is driven home for me this weekend because our family is moving. Our family is, is moving. And what you need to know is that our family had no plans whatsoever to move this summer. Because as my wife often says, move is a four-letter word. We had no plans whatsoever to move. We love our neighborhood. One of my wife's best friends is a Serbian woman, Nana, who lives behind us. And we love our home. We love our neighborhood. But God began kind of moving the furniture around, literally, in our lives several weeks ago on a prayer retreat that our lead team took to the coast. So several weeks ago, uh, me along with Pastor Guy and Pastor Jeff, other pastors on staff, we went away to the coast to, to pray and to pray for you guys, to pray for our series in Colossians. And during that time, we had an opportunity to just share our prayer requests with one another. And uh, Pastor Jeff Spiegel, he went on to share that he and Kate had made an offer on a house, but it was beginning to go sideways and they didn't have a piece about it. So he asked us to pray that the Lord would provide a house for them. When I came home for that retreat, I felt compelled to continue to pray for Jeff. I told my wife, Julie, about what they were going through. And almost instantaneously, one evening, as we were praying for Jeff and Kate, the Lord impressed Julie and I that we should see if Jeff and Kate want to buy our house. So we had them over on a Sunday after church. They saw our house. They loved it. They made us an offer, and we accepted and agreed to sell our house to Jeff and Kate with no contingency plan. 
We hadn't been redfinning and zillowing. Our house wasn't staged and looking like a crate and barrel magazine whatsoever. It's just chickens, dogs, and the makings of go-karts in our house. That's like basically what's going on. So we weren't prepped and we, we hadn't been planning on selling our house. So the day after we agreed to sell our house to Jeff and Kate, I was walking around our neighborhood and the peace that surpasses understanding, Julie and I had this supernatural peace, we're supposed to sell our house to Jeff and Kate, it began to be replaced by fear. And we, we were mildly freaking out, to, to be honest with you. So I was walking around our, our neighborhood with, with my Labrador, Alex, and, and I was just praying and I was saying, okay, God, we really felt like you told us, you know, to sell our house, but we don't have a contingency plan. I guess I can always rent an RV and just park it at River West in the parking lot and like somehow hook into the water. But I'd love to know what you have prepared for us, you know? So I'm walking around our neighborhood and I see a woman right down our street, about a block and a half down our street, and she's painting her house. So I strike up a conversation with her and it turns out um, that she uh, recently just went through just a difficult time in life. Her husband and her had purchased this home. He had passed away. And so, so I told her, I'm a pastor. I'm really, 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 really sorry. You know, walk alongside a lot of people experiencing grief, and it's brutal. We're just talking with one another. And as we're talking, I told her, you know what? My wife and I, we just actually agreed to sell our house to friends that are going to be moving in down the street. Why don't we walk through uh, your house, and, and we'll just pray about it. And so I, I dropped off my dog, and I got my wife and my kids, and we walked through her house and loved it. It was absolutely everything that we were praying for, and then some. And we made an offer, and she accepted it. And so now we're going to be living down the road from the Spiegel's. And, and it's amazing. But this is not the way we would have scripted it whatsoever. And this is not the way that we actually would have spent our summer, to be, to be honest with you. But prayer kind of blew all of that up. Now, I debated sharing this story with you because I don't want you to think that I believe in like a name it and claim it like prayer theology. I was not going around our neighborhood just pointing at houses and saying, in the name of Jesus, you know, like <laughs> that's, that's mine right there, you know. I wasn't praying the prayer of Jabez saying, just expand my territory and it'd be great if it had five bedrooms or I, I just wasn't. I just was praying and I struck up a conversation with a woman who's going through a really difficult time in life. And now, honestly, this is, this is so amazing. And what God had in store for us is better than anything that we could have cooked up. Have you ever experienced that? Prayer blows everything up. And many times our plans are lame. They're just lame. And when we pray, Many times, even when God calls us to do something scary, what he provides is always so much better. Can I get an amen for that? But can I tell you, the thing that my wife Jules and I are most excited about, it's not the new house. We are super stoked that we're going to be neighbors with the Spiegels. It's we're so glad that God was gracious enough to allow us to stay in our neighborhood because God is opening doors. There's so many relationships that we have 
with people that just haven't been introduced to the living Jesus that we love yet. And we believe that God kept us in our neighborhood because he still has more doors to open. And that's where the Apostle Paul leads us. He tells us, you know, we should be watchful in prayer. We should be thankful in prayer, always thanking God for his amazing gifts of grace that he provides every single day. But the ultimate, we, we should always be praying for open doors and opportunities to share the gospel with others. And so in verse 3, as we conclude our series here in Colossians, listen, listen to how the Apostle Paul exhorts his friend in Colossae to pray. He says this in verse 3. He says, At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, friends, when I look around our church and I, I see the amazing ministry opportunities that the Lord has brought Things like the, the South Korea mission trip, our, our ministry in Rwanda, our dedication to refugee care ministry in the city, the growing foster care community in, in our church, hotel ministry and teams of people each and every week that go into low-income hotels and bring groceries and the good news of Jesus to residents that are isolated and alone. You know what I see with every single open door is an answered prayer. Is an answered prayer. When we pray, God opens doors. That's why for us as a church, we will always, always be devoted to growing as a community of prayer is because when we pray, God blows the doors off of the hinges and he does more than we can immeasurably ask or Imagine, as we just go to him and we trust him to take care of us, to build up his church, and we devote ourselves to pray. As we conclude today, what I want to do is I want to give you some wisdom today as you spend some time in the rest of the chapter of Colossians Paul gives us some wisdom with, with how to pray as God opens doors. We have opportunities to share Christ with others. Here's some ways that we should constantly be praying. First, Paul tells us that as God opens doors, that we'd have the courage to just declare the gospel clearly. To declare the mystery of the gospel clearly. You know, Paul, in this passage that we just read, perhaps you caught it, he calls the gospel the mystery of Christ. And the truth is, the gospel is a mystery, but not because it's confusing or obscure. It's amazing, and it's an incredible mystery because no one would ever think or imagine up a message like this. 
that the almighty God would leave heaven and come to earth to be born a baby in Bethlehem, that he should live a life of humility and poverty and love, stepping down to lift others up, that the guiltless son of God would be mocked and abused and executed on a Roman cross for my sin, for your sin, that he would rise from the dead on the third day, ascend to the right hand of God, reign over all, and return one day to make all things new. And in the meantime, in a sheer act of grace and a mystery we'll never fully understand, to take up residence in our lives and be Christ in us, the hope of glory. That is the mystery of the gospel, folks, that we're constantly, constantly carrying around. And you know, Paul doesn't tell us to convince anyone. He just tells us to share this as plainly and clearly with the people he puts in our path. So as you pray, ask the Lord to open your eyes to people in your job, in your neighborhood, in the church community here that need to hear the good news of Jesus. And that you might have the courage not to, to, be, to be convincing, but to just be plain and clear. Secondly, Paul tells us that, you know, one of the things we should pray for as we come before the Lord is we should constantly ask for wisdom. Wisdom. Paul says in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And so perhaps in your life right now, you just don't know what to do. You know, biblical wisdom is knowing what God, doors we should walk through, what doors we should leave closed in, in life. And whatever you're facing, as you pray, ask God to give you wisdom with how you can faithfully represent him and make wise choices in your life right now so that others can see by your good faith and your life that Jesus gives wisdom to people. And lastly, and this is where we're going to land this morning, and I'm going to have the worship team come up here. As we pray, we should constantly be asking the Lord to open our eyes to see more of his son, Jesus. To see more of his son Jesus. There's always more beauty and glory and grace to see in Jesus. And that's why Epaphras prayed in verse 17 of the last chapter. We see that our verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. What assurance do you need? May God open our eyes, River West, to the gospel that assures us that he who knew no sin became sin so that we, might be righteous and clean and acceptable before God, whatever you're facing. As you pray today, we're going to have a time of prayer here.
May you open your heart and allow God to open your eyes to the great assurance of the gospel. The Lord will reveal himself to you, the Jesus that you need to see today. He'll open your eyes and fill you with grace.